0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. This is the Surveyor's Hour on
1: America's Web Radio, and I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. I am an attorney at law and a land surveyor. First of all, uh, first and foremost, a surveyor. Secondly, an attorney at law. We'll uh, spend the next hour talking about surveying and um, surveyors and... um, as always, your questions and comments are welcome. You can send them to me at jeff at americaswebradio.com. Uh, you can find out more about me at my personal website www.lucasandcompany.com. Uh, check out uh, check out our website. Uh, check out our resources tab. We have some uh, interesting material there that's uh, free uh, free downloads. We also have correspondence courses, so uh, you can check those out as well. Uh, as renewal time for your license uh, is uh, is on the horizon here, usually they, they take place somewhere near the end of the year, uh, depending on where you're licensed. So uh, check out our website. Uh, we have correspondence courses available uh, for credits. Uh, okay, well, this is Thanksgiving week, and uh, I certainly hope that... Uh, all of you yeah. out there are doing well. Your families are well, uh, and that you will have a very, um, very thankful Thanksgiving. Uh, that's I know I have plenty um, to be thankful about and thankful for, and I think that's the, the thing I like best about <clears throat> about this holiday. It's um, it's it hasn't really been um, it hasn't really been messed up by uh, to, by the uh, advertising agencies and and society at large um, it's it's hard to I guess commercialize Thanksgiving it's probably not a very popular thing uh, in, in the, the majority of our culture here today but anyway I'm not here to talk about that um, just here to uh, wish you and yours a very uh, happy uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, coming up here Thursday. All right. Uh, well, we don't have a guest on the show today, but that's kind of by design because uh, I wanted to, um, as as we discussed last week, uh, I wanted to kind of pivot and turn the corner. Uh, this is the 36th show uh, by my account, 36th live show. And uh, I, I've spent a lot of this... Um, uh, on this program, talking about uh, problems in the land surveying profession, uh, problems with the way surveying is practiced, and uh, the problems that cause um, that the, these and and how these issues cause problems for uh, landowners uh, here in the United States of America and in, in other in other countries as well i would I would imagine. Um, but especially here, um, that's that's my concern. And that's been my concern for a long time. Is uh, this just the damage that uh, has is being um, inflicted on private property uh, landowners, and, and as a result, the damage to the land surveying profession? So, anyway, we've talked about that um, uh, a lot on this program. And last last week, as I, as I said, I want to kind of turn turn the corner here, pivot, if you will and start talking about some things that can be done uh, to improve the practice of surveying, to help protect uh, the public, uh, the, the landowning public. I mean, that's the only reason surveyors are licensed in the United States of America, and that is the protection of uh, private property rights. There's, there's nothing else we're, that we're doing out there. We're not writing prescriptions. <clears throat> we're not defending people in court. Uh, what we're defending are, are the property lines, the established property lines uh, in the United States of America. And that's what the land surveyor's role is. In the basic, the, the nutshell description of what land surveying is all about is the surveyors are the stewards of the nation's property boundaries. And especially, it's it's applicable, you know, from sea to, to, sea to shining sea, But especially in the uh, public domain states where there was an initial survey uh, performed by the government, uh, the general land office, and then that framework was put on the ground, and then it was up to the local surveyors uh, to protect that framework, to maintain that framework, to add to that framework, and that's our role in society. That's what we do. Um uh, and that's basically that's a niche basically it's a niche service. We're the only people in the United States of America uh, who are licensed and sanctioned by the states um, uh, the the various and sundry states uh, to um, to make determinations of where property lines have already become established on the ground and there's a lot of reasons why we haven't done that. Uh, as a as a whole, as a profession, uh, there's a lot of reasons, various sundry reasons that we have uh, to a certain extent failed in that regard. Uh, every time we send somebody uh, two to landowners to court over what usually ends up being a non-issue, then we've just we've we've damaged the reputation of the profession. We've damaged uh, those those people, those landowners. If you don't think you're damaged by going into a lawsuit, well, then you've never been in a lawsuit. It's, you will be damaged, and we've talked about this on many occasions. Um, that's because um, uh, that's because in a, in a boundary dispute case, there is no insurance money to pay the freight uh, for the attorneys and the witnesses and um, for the parties. Uh, there there's no insurance that you can buy well there is, but the, we're not going to go down to those weeds but uh, there is a way that the location question can be insured, and we've talked about that, that on this program and that's um that's uh through the uh survey coverage with a uh with a title policy but that aside uh, basically speaking um there there is no insu- there is no insurance that that covers the location question. Uh, of property and therefore boundary dispute cases primarily um, are are funded by the individuals are funded by the landowners and uh, that that's why a lot of even really really bad surveying never gets adjudicated because nobody has any money nobody has any money to adjudicate um, the the boundary dispute case even though the principles are very very high I want what, what was, has always been mine uh, on the one side, uh, especially when a surveyor comes out and moves the, moves the boundary line from uh, its existing and traditional location, moves it to a new location. The one owner wants what always was, and the other owner wants what's mine, because my surveyor has shown me uh, that that old fence line isn't really the property line, it's, it's this new line that the surveyors put in the ground and all I want is mine. Uh, so although the, the principles run very very high, uh, often the war chest can't keep up with the principles and so therefore uh, in many cases I would imagine uh, the vast majority of cases where surveyors uh, have caused problems uh, of this sort, uh, they, they don't go to court. Uh, it's only a very small percentage of, of um, of um, uh, disagreements or um, um, arguments over over property lines that that ever go to court only only a very small percentage and but the cases are, are numerous the cases are still even though the cases are legion um, and I've been writing about these and um, Doing newsletters and correspondence courses and continuing education and seminar presentation uh, over these types of cases uh, now for for twenty years and so the cases there's the cases are, are endless and um, and those are only the ones that go to court and they go up on the up on appeal so. Um, the controversies started by surveyors uh, in the field that never go to court are are untold. Uh, only God knows how many of those are out there so it's it's incumbent upon the surveying profession to uh, uh to correct this problem and that 's what we're talking that 's why we're we're going to spend this week and and maybe next talking about the problem and some corrections and some things that uh, that could make the situation better um, as we've discussed before there's two primary policing mechanisms for any profession whether it be uh, the medical profession, the legal profession uh, the clergy uh, engineers architects uh, the two primary policing mechanisms are number one, there's su- they're supposed to be a board that polices uh, these practitioners and in, in in the land surveying profession, that doesn't work very well. Uh, it works pretty well with the um, uh, with the uh, medical profession. It works really well with the legal profession. But when you get beyond those, uh, engineering, surveying, architect- and I can't really speak to architects, but especially surveying, um, board action is almost is uh, on, on, bad pract- on bad practice, bad practice, bad practitioners. Uh, I won't say it's non-existent, but it's not. It's not very effective. We'll put it that way. The other um, policing mechanism is litigation, and again, that doesn't work well. That works very well with the medical profession. It works very well with the um, uh, with the uh, uh, legal profession. It even works well with the with the clergy. Um, and um, the you know religious profession, so to speak, uh, but it doesn't work very well with the surveying profession for the reasons I've already discussed. There's no money. There's there's no money. Even very bad practi- practices and very very bad surveying results will will uh, oftentimes and maybe the majority of times go unchallenged, completely unchallenged because uh, there's there's no money to do it. There's the, the title company. Uh, generally speaking, doesn't care about where the property is located on the ground. They only care about uh, the title to the property uh, and ensuring that that ha- that that is good title, so that the lender will be first in line uh, to foreclose on the property and get their money back uh, on the uh, on the the title. Uh, should something go awry with the loan? Should um, should some- the landowner stop you know paying on the mortgage? So uh, those policing mechanisms don't necessarily uh, aren't very effective. At least this has been my observation. After two decades of reading and writing and, and teaching and talking about these issues and these problems, my observation is the board action and litigation don't work very well. They're they're not that much of a deterrent. Uh, to bad practice, because there's still bad practitioners out there. And in a lot of cases, they don't even know that they're bad practitioners. They, 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 they think they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and that get, gets into that whole other discussion about survey mythology and surveying being practiced as a belief system. I just believe I'm supposed to go out and break that section down again. when um, the surveyors who do that can't point to any th- authority for doing that kind of practice as a matter of fact the the court cases on those issues basically say the reverse uh say the opposite there's there's no reason to break a section down again there's no reason to drive new pins in the ground when there's uh generally speaking when uh there's perfectly uh good and established uh corners in the ground already so um last week we um we got started on this discussion, and we started with knowing the law that governs your practice, and then we got into have a written contract, <clears throat> and we discussed some contract basics last week. So we're going to pick up on that discussion here uh, this week, um, and and one of the one of the primary reasons for having a written contract uh, is. Um, is miscommunication is to try and uh, uh, avoid miscommunication between the practitioner uh, and the client. Um, any anything from uh, everything from uh, the fee to be expected to the services to be for, to be provided. <clears throat> because we we all know that uh, there's a lot of teaching that goes um, uh, or it's. I'll call it teaching that goes on between the surveyor and the client over the phone. A lot of people, a lot of landowners, don't really understand uh, what the, the what the surveyor does and and why the surveyor does it. So I don't, I don't know about other um, other surveyors, but for me, there's a lot of teaching that goes along uh, with that, and there's uh, uh, sometimes you need the patience of Job uh, to be able to. Uh, go through some of the issues that you need to go through, but uh, with with a potential client. But it, it's all about uh, trying to avoid miscommunication and helping the landowner, uh, the property owner, to understand uh, what it is that uh, we will be doing uh, as a surveyor, and some of the things that we we will not do. Uh, you know, one of the one of the biggest issues, at least for me. Uh, and in my experience has been uh, t- informing or um, educating, maybe that's a better word, uh, educating uh, these potential clients um, as to what we can and cannot do. because a, a lot of times uh, the, the client will call up, the potential client will call up, and they're just concerned about one corner. Uh, maybe it's a subdivision line. They're concerned about one corner, or concerned about one line. Or I got a call here recently. They're concerned about the location of a tree, and that's all they want to know. They just want to know where that tree's located, and can I come out? Of course, for you know a discounted rate, and just determine which side of the line the tree's on because somebody has to cut the tree down. And no, uh, we're not. That's not what we do. Um, I could do that. It uh, could be a violation of uh, standards of practice in some jurisdictions, maybe in other jurisdictions, it isn't a technical standards violation, but at any rate, the reason for not doing that is if I don't produ- if I don't, first of all, just to determine where one line is, I might have to survey the whole block. So they're not really saving any money there. Uh, with, uh, I won't be saving any money there with uh, the effort involved. Uh, so we're going to do a complete survey of the entire lot, and unless the client insists, uh, we're going to get the we're going to locate the improvements, the houses, the, the house, the driveway, the fences, and, and all of that other stuff. Then we're going to report it on a map of survey. And that's there's two reasons for that. One is protection for the landowner that map of survey is, in essence, the report that they will get back that, that shows them what we did as land surveyor and um, and where we found the corners in relation to existing features. Uh, fences, sidewalks, buildings, porches, decks, uh, and the other is protection for the surveyor. Um, now, I, I have heard of surveyors just coming out and finding the corners painting them up and walking away collecting a couple hundred bucks for doing that but what happens five years from now when there's a problem with the line and then there's an argument over what the surveyor did five years previously well these are the pins you showed me no those aren't the pins i showed you i showed you these other pins over here well if you have a record of it then that ends that discussion so it's protection for the landowner um and its protection for uh, the surveyor as well so one of the primary reasons for having a written contract is to avoid miscommunication uh, between the service provider uh, and uh, the landowner Um, okay so we talked about some contract basics uh, last week we won't go over those again uh, other than to, um, we, we got down to a one-page contract. Uh, and there's different kinds of contracts. There's uh, oral contracts. An oral contract is perfectly legitimate contract, but the problem is, what were the terms of the contract? And then there's a written contract. This is what uh, I suggest that surveyors um, surveyors strive to have on uh, even on small on small uh, projects. And that's what we're gonna talk about here today. How can I get the small how can I get a contract on a small project where nobody wants to nobody wants to sign a contract? So we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. Uh in some locations contract under seal and that simply means uh that's that's that goes back to the old days when uh you know, back in the day when you had the hot wax and the family crest and you would uh that's, that you would seal a contract. You can still do that in some jurisdictions uh, here in the United States. And it, what it does is that, uh, at least here in Alabama, you can sign under seal, and they'll have a little uh, LS designation there. Um, and what it does is it extends the statute of limitations from uh, six years under written contract to ten years under seal. So that's just a, a little something there to... Uh, to be aware of um contract protections limitation of liability uh litigation uh you can again last week we discussed the only way you get your money back in litigation is if there's three ways if you have uh a contract that says you can get your money back uh if there's a statute out there somewhere that says you can get your money back um i think of uh court actions and um and sanctions, you can get money back through sanctions, uh, with with uh, court action, litigation action. Uh, also, um, um, a uh, reverse condemnation. Uh, a lot of times, you can get if you have to if you have property that's been condemned by the uh, the power company, the Department of Transportation. Uh, and they leave you an uneconomic remnant. Uh, Some states have statutory uh, um, remedies for that, where you can go sue the Department of Transportation to take the rest of your property. It's called reverse condemnation, and you can get your money back then. And then there's the court-made rule, uh, where if Party A, because of the actions of Parties B and C, Has to come in and defend her title. This happens a lot in boundary dispute cases. Then, uh, and and if Party A wins, has to come uh, because of the activities of B and C. B being your client, C being you. You did a project for your client, and you slandered the title of the next door neighbor, uh, Party A. And Party A has to come in and defend her title and sues you and uh, your client uh, over the slander issue and, and wins, then um, this is a court-made rule. Um, it's, it's, it's widespread. I can't tell you how many states it's applicable in. Uh, I have seen references to it in, in many state court cases that say it, it's, it's the general rule I don't think it's universal, but it's the general rule, which would mean the majority rule in the United States of America. Um, <clears throat> this, this court-made rule is applicable and can be used to get your uh, money back on litigation. So, you, you, and another reason for having a written contract. Yeah, I could do that with a oral contract. Uh, a written contract where both parties sign off on the document and agree. Uh, on litigation fees and expenses okay so there's there's another uh... reason for having a written contract as opposed to an oral contract uh... Contract essential elements are offer acceptance legal purpose subject matter uh... consideration legal capacity and execution and last week what we brought in was uh... some optional elements that we want on a contract We're putting together a one-page contract project identification, standard of care, deliverables, schedule, payment, uh, payment terms, applicable law, we want you want your uh, home state law that contract even if you're working out of state, attorney's fees, contingency clause, sure. uh, and this is another re, an, another thing that I, that I think is a problem uh, for the land surveying profession and for certain practitioners, I, I, I just feel Jeff, that some we need of this to stop work. It
0: there is that you, David. Yep, we need to take a break. All right, we'll take a break, and we'll be back on the Land Surveyors Show with uh, Jeff Lucas right after this. Want to remind everybody? I was just looking out the window. Beautiful day. It's a beautiful day to order quick stakes and their markers their markers are absolutely fantastic i don't know a surveyor that doesn't like them that's used them and uh this is a good day to give uh, if you got a piece of paper there write down this number 800-438-0387. And uh, tell them, David, as you call, that uh, you want to get some samples or you want to order, if you've used them before, just go ahead and order those markers. They are better than uh, slice bread. So with that being said, we'll do an official spot and then we'll be back with uh, jeff in just a couple of minutes quick stakes is your answer to staking lightweight easy to ride on easy to use easy to find and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes have you tried a sample if not get a pen and paper and write down this number 800-438-0387 or go to quickstake.com that's q-u-i-k-s-t-a-k-e dot com and order your samples ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today and I know some of you folks out there are veterans and we want to uh, highlight the fact that uh, we work very closely with the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame here in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, they have a scholarship fund where if uh, you're graduating from high school and looking for scholarships uh, and you've been in ROTC or junior ROTC, uh, check into the Hall of Fame, the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame and their scholarship. And then listen to uh, Pete Mecca and A Veteran's Story and many other shows. David's Pick, uh, we do veterans as well, and I think you'll enjoy each and every one of those shows. So we've got great shows on America's Web Radio and great listeners and a great audience, and we do appreciate it. We'll be back with... Jeff, you're right after to this. America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back.
1: This is the Surveyors Hour on America's Web Radio, and we are talking about surveying. Um, uh, now, um, right before the break, I brought up contingency clauses, and for now, for thirty some odd shows. I've been talking about uh, problems with the practice of land surveying in the United States of America. And I'm going to tell you that I think um, the lack of a written contract and the lack of a contingency clause is one of the problems. Uh, And the reason I think that is when you're working under an oral contract, again, what are the terms of the contract? And I believe... There would be. There's a reluctance working under a uh, oral contract. You're going to give uh, the landowner, uh, a, a, first of all, they're going to want to know how much, and then they're going to want to know when. So you tell them how much, and then you tell them when, and they say go. Now you're under contract. So what happens if you get out there and there's problems? There's problems galore. That uh, there's problems far beyond what you uh, what you uh, anticipated. But when you went out there, it looked on paper or looking on the GIS map, it looked uh, it looked relatively simple. But when you go out there, it's a complete mess. Uh, and start uh, researching into it, a complete mess. Now, if you do your research uh, before you go out there, which you should, you, you should be doing there. I don't know how you're going to survey unless you you pulled you know the deeds of unless you're in a subdivision uh, where it's, you've got a platted subdivision and you got platted lots and all the geometries there. But if you're out in the uh, meets and bounds area and uh, you haven't done your research yet and you just go out there to find corners um, or maybe working off a tax map, there's another problem. Working off a tax map. And you, you, get, you dig into this thing, start digging into this uh, problem that you have out there, and it's a complete mess. I... I I think that and, and this is really the only uh, the only thing that I can there are a few other things that, that I can think of that that explain some of the complete and, and utter um, how do I say this in a nice way the complete and utter um, nonsense, that, that I find from, you know, monuments that have been, you know, set on the ground recently uh, by, uh, you know, relatively recent surveyors, last 10, 15, 20 years. The only explanation I, I seem to come up with is, uh, or not, not the only one, but maybe a big one, is they didn't have a written contract. They gave a lump sum fee, certain. They gave a time frame. And they really didn't know the mess that they were going to get into, so they feel this—they feel this uh, obligation to finish something. And instead of doing, uh, you know, taking a time out, you know, uh, and uh, re-evaluating the situation, which you would be able to do with a contingency clause in your contract, the surveyor sort of rushes to finish the job up and. And then that's when I think that's when they they bring the math in, they bring the math and the measurements from the deed, and they just they find something to hang their hat on, some some monument somewhere that they're going to call good, uh, as um, as Walt Robillard has said uh, before. You got to start somewhere, so they find some monument to, to sort of hang everything on, and then they just put the geometry on the ground, and then uh, just leave the problem. You know, I only got x amount of dollars to do this thing i can't i can't uh, and i've got to finish because i said i would finish and i'll probably be under breach of contract if i don't finish because i don't have a termination clause and i don't have a contingency clause i agreed to do this thing so i'm just going to i'm just going to force this thing on the ground put the monuments in the ground uh... map this thing up and send them an invoice and hopefully i get paid i think that's one of the problems is that um, um, surveyors feel the need to finish a project when maybe they shouldn't finish at all. Maybe they shouldn't finish. If, if you have a, a the medical profession doesn't do this, if you don't have enough information to diagnose what the problem is, if you're, and then you just, uh, you just order up, uh, you prescribe a placebo, uh, or the wrong medicine, because you didn't do enough research, you didn't do enough uh, uh, examination to, to come up with a well-reasoned opinion on what the ailment is, that you're, that's malpractice. That's
0: malpractice.
1: And, and again, the, 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 the uh, doctor will get sued. Especially if the patient gets sick and gets sick and dies from a misdiagnosis because the the, the doctor was cutting corners, and that's one of the problems with the land surveying prof, uh, profession. <clears throat> the doctors are out there cutting corners and misdiagnosing uh, the the ailment of of the patient and uh, giving the wrong prescription. And I think it all comes. I think a lot of it, not all of it, a lot of it comes down to the fact that there isn't a written contract and a conti- with a contingency clause. And hand in glove with a t- contingency clause is a termination call- clause. And, and here's how those clauses work: <clears throat> you give, uh, you you come to an agreement over the phone. You take your one page contract, which we got down to a one page contract last week. And we'll read over it again here uh, in, a, in a minute. Got down to a one page contract. You can email it. You can, uh, you can fax it. You can put it in it, you can embed it in an email and just and just have them you know acknowledge that' it, that's, that's your agreement. Uh, and so the contingency – you give them a, a time frame, an estimate of a time frame. You don't guarantee any time frame. You don't guarantee anything. As a prof- no professional service providers guarantee anything. You do not make guarantees or warranties. As a matter of fact, our one page contract has a statement on warranties. There are no warranties associated with these services. Um. So you come up with a with a fee. You come up with a time frame, uh, and your contingency clause goes something like this. Well, I might as well just go to it. Let's just read the little simple contingency clause in the one-page contract. If unforeseen circumstances or unexpected difficulties are encountered, the client will be consulted before surveyor proceeds further. So you got to call a timeout. You, you, it's a complete... You did not anticipate this at all. Sometimes it's... it's you might just need to walk away. <clears throat> and especially if you get into the research uh, before you even go out in the field... And you're on un- you're under a written contract and you find and you, you you pull the clients deed you pull adjoining deeds and you start plotting these deeds up and you find out that everything's overlapping there's gaps everywhere and you're going to do this survey uh, out in the boonies for five hundred dollars you know the best thing to do maybe would be to call that client back up and say look <clears throat> I can't do it uh, you know I I said I could do it but I can't do it before you get in too far invested, just tell them you can't do it or negotiate a new fee. Uh, so, <clears throat> but you're, you're invested now. And you've been out there, and it, it's a complete cluster, and so you're going to call a timeout. That's what the contingency clause is all, is all about. If additional services are deemed necessary, survey will perform these services at an hourly rate of $150 an hour or whatever your hourly rate is. Uh, Surveyor will perform uh, additional services with clients written or verbal approval. This offer will expire within 15 days. Um, no warranties, no guarantees. So <clears throat> you're going to stop. Now, you could make that uh, a lump sum as well. If, if additional services are deemed necessary, Surveyor will perform these services for a lump sum fee of so you can make it either hourly rate or lump sum but the, the point is it, you get to you, you you get invested in you're under contract you have a written contract and uh, you go out there and you find out that this thing is way worse than you ever anticipated uh, you do not you do not have to lose money this this is actually stuff that has been taught okay in seminars. Um, that you've got to go out there and you've got to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig until you find that original monument, even if it means you have to dig up the intersection in order to find that original sandstone monument. That that doesn't pass the common sense test. And the only reason a surveyor would do that is uh, if the surveyor's not working with a contract. Why in the world, if you had a contract for, let's say, $3,000 to go do this uh, sectionalized land survey, okay, and it required you find in a section corner, and you go to the corner, you know, to the uh, um, the section wh- where the section corner ostensibly is at this intersection, and this kind of stuff happens, folks. I mean, you, you read about it in the magazines, you read about it in uh, uh, with uh, uh, articles, and you hear about it. Well, yeah, we had to dig down. Better dig down six feet down into that uh, <clears throat> down under that pavement in order to build in order to find that section point. Well, if that's what you have to do, that's a contract issue. Okay, that's a contract issue. You don't have to, if that's what you feel you have to do. You're probably working under a, a, an oral contract, and you feel the need to. Uh, you, you've just got to go ahead, and uh, that's just what you got to do. You got to suck it up. Uh, even if it, you're out there for four days, you got to suck it up. There's that doesn't that doesn't pass the standard of care what a reasonably prudent practitioner under like or similar circumstances would do. That doesn't pass the common sense test. If I'm doing a project for three thousand dollars and I'm going to have to spend six digging up the section corner in the middle of the intersection, that that doesn't make any sense. Uh, <clears throat> so. Now, if your client wants you, if you so you stop. The contingency clause is a, is a pause. It, it's you hit the pause button. It's a timeout. Uh, you've you've run into unforeseen circumstances. You get in touch with the client. You explain the situation to the client. Okay, so now we got to go do this, that, and the other in order to complete this survey, and it's going to be another X amount of dollars. Uh, and the client says, no, I, I can't spend that much money. Then you, then you have your termination. Either party may terminate disagreement with or without clause. Upon termination, surveyor will be reimbursed for services performed. Now, does a contract saying that if you terminate, uh, you get reimbursed, uh, does that mean you're going to get reimbursed? No. But if you don't have a contract, if you're working under an oral contract and you pull a uh, contingency clause that wasn't written or agreed to, you pull a contingency clause on your client and tell them you need more money to finish, and the client says no, and then you terminate and send them a bill for what you did to date, you are guaranteed, you're guaranteed you will not be paid. At least with a contract, uh, you have something that uh, you can take to court if you needed to, uh, in order to um, uh, <clears throat> in order to collect uh, on on the services that you've uh, rendered thus far but of course all of this could be um, could be uh, mitigated if you were working with your clients money in other words you you got a retainer up front or you got ha- you know half the fee up front or a quarter of the fee up front then uh, then you can you're working with a house money and um, you know you can you can take your chances with a oral agreement or uh, not having an oral agreement it's always best to have the money up front obviously um, but a lot of in a lot of cases uh, if you want to do the work it, that's just not going to happen because uh, if if you're going to do the survey for $3,000 and you need $1,500 up front. They're just going to click, you know, that's it. That's the end of the discussion. Unless you know the client, and the client, you know, it's a good client, and the client is uh, knows the kind of work you do, but just this phone call off the street, you know, I need a uh, I need a, uh, a survey of this property for whatever reason, building fences, closing on the property, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you're and you say, well, $3,000 and I need $1,500 up front. Well, it's quick, and they're off to the next surveyor. Um, they're looking for a better price and a, and a better deal, and or maybe maybe quicker. Uh, maybe they need it quicker. A lot of times, needing it quicker allows you to uh, charge a little bit more uh, for the survey if you're the one who can get it when they need it done. Uh, so that's that's an incentive that's uh, uh, for them to... Uh, pay uh, maybe a premium on the property. And if you were doing ALTA surveys without a premium uh, on on the project, uh, then, well, quite frankly, you're an idiot. Because um, if they, we've discussed this before, uh, if the, and, and the whole purpose for doing an ALTA survey is to remove the survey exception. Just read the ALTA standards the whole purpose is to remove the survey exception and when they remove the title company removes the survey exception and you've proffered an an alta survey to your client and the client you know gives that over to uh the title company to rely on and they remove the survey exception from the policy then now you are in the insurance business your survey is being uh insured by the title company for accuracy um, so <clears throat> did you get your my question is did you get your premium uh... for doing the office survey because you most likely matter of fact you're supposed to be then at that point in time in the insurance business the location insurance business when they remove the survey exception <clears throat> then they provide what they call survey coverage And now the title company will be insuring both the title to the property and the location of that property as shown on your survey. So you are in the insurance business. All right. Let's see.
0: Break time?
1: Uh, Yep, sounds like a good time for a break.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio, and uh, we've got such fantastic programming. Stroll through, go to our website and programs, and then just scroll down and look at it. everything from classic car show to land surveying. We're the only ones. And uh, more and more, Doctor's Lounge, find out what the doctors are talking about with uh, the crisis that we're in and everything else. And much, much more, only on America's Web Radio. We'll be back with Jeff in just a couple of minutes. Quick Stakes. Does your survey supply dealer have Quick Stakes? If not, demand that they start carrying Quick Stakes. Did you know that Quick Stakes are better for your back than your local chiropractor? lightweight and easier to use than the old heavy wooden steak. Order a sample today and prove it to yourself. Quick Steaks, your bike friendly steak. If you do, join us on The Doctor's Lounge and hear The Doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista
1: Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber
0: every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com.
1: Okay, welcome back. Uh, we're in our last segment here. And uh, this is... Uh, I'm your host, Jeff Lucas. This is the Surveyors Hour on America's Web Radio. Okay. Um, we've pretty uh, pretty much covered everything I wanted to talk about uh, relative to a uh, written contract. Um, and if you would like, you can go to my website uh, and you can... Uh, If you go to our resources tab, in in alphabetical uh, order, look for contracts, and you can download uh, an example contract uh, for land surveying services for the small. You know, these are small projects. Okay, these aren't these aren't large projects. Um, um, If you want to, if you want to have a chance of getting. The landowner to sign a contract for land surveying services. Uh, services you're going to have to keep it pretty simple. Uh, your more sophisticated clients will. Uh, they might even try to get you to sign their contract, which <clears throat> I um, advise against. Um, you you should you need uh, your own standardized contract. You can have one, uh, unlike the one on my webpage. Um, For small projects, you could uh, have another contract with more terms and conditions that you want in there for uh, the larger projects. But you need to have your own contract ready to go. That way, when you finish the phone conversation with the client, you can uh, put it in an email, ship it over to them, put it on the fax machine, ship it over to them, uh, let them sign it. Uh, my recommendation is let them sign it first <clears throat> that way when it comes back to you uh, it is actually their offer and you then have the final uh, word on whether or not uh, you uh, want to sign that contract or not even if it's on your letterhead uh, when you send uh, and it's your contract you your you know your uh uh, the, the contract you've put together or your attorney put together. And again, just let me remind you, I'm not your attorney, and I'm not giving you legal advice. And um, and uh, the sample contract I have is just an example. If you want to use that or something like that, you, you need to get your attorney uh, to look it over for you. And um, you know, and make uh, any recommendations that your local attorney might want to make, an attorney who's familiar with uh, your jurisdiction and uh, your services and uh, your state laws. But um, so um, so you need a, you need to have this contract ready to go so that it can be emailed as soon as you get off the phone with the client. Get your contract to them. Let. Um, don't don't sign it. Get get your contract to them. Let it make it easy for them to just sign on the on the dotted line and ship it back to you. Uh, then, if you do that, um, that is their proposal. Even if it has your letter, it's on your letterhead. It is the client's proposal under contract law. It is the client's proposal, and it is not complete. Until uh, you uh, sign it on your end, uh, initial any changes that the client may have made. The client may have struck through something somewhere, and initialed it. If you if you want everything, you know, all the T's uh, uh, crossed and the I's dotted. If they made a change somewhere, uh, they need to initial that change. And then when you get the contract back, you either this is your opportunity to accept or reject. And so uh, if you accept, then you initial any mark-throughs or changes they made on that contract. If they didn't make any, then just simply, simply sign it and send them a copy back, if you want to. This is your last opportunity. This this gives you another a second bite at the apple. Uh, maybe uh, you know maybe they were too quick to accept the contract. Maybe you know maybe I missed something. Maybe um, there's uh, you know there's there's something missing here, or I've woefully underestimated uh, the work. Um, so this is your opportunity, second bite at the apple. So you sign it and then send it back to your client, uh, and then it's their proposal. It's their contract because they signed it before uh, you signed it and turned it into their proposal now okay so for these small projects Jeff it's too uh it's too difficult to and it's too troublesome to get the, my clients you know I've been working with these real estate people um, for you know years now and I can't just turn around and um um, and have them sign contracts. Uh, these real estate people don't want to sign contracts um, or whoever it is you're working for. They don't want to sign contracts. Then um, you, you can... This this has some teeth to it. Uh, it's not as good as a contract where both parties sign, but this does have some teeth to it. And I'm going to give uh, Canood Hermanson, who, a man I've never met, but I've read some of his stuff... Uh, floating around here and there. Uh, He called it the letter of understanding. I'm sure he... I know he did not come up with that letter of understanding, but... um, So the idea, because there's case law out there on this, okay? The idea is that um, it's kind of like a unilateral contract, but it's not really a unilateral contract. Uh, In this case, only one person is signing. So I'm going to... I'm going to put the terms and conditions, and I'm probably not going to get as many terms and conditions uh, in this agreement, in this letter of understanding, that I would get in a signed contract. Um, but I'll get as many in there as I can, but the the, the, the you, you want to get the basics in there. Uh, what's my fee? Uh, what am I going to do? Let's see what else I have in here. Uh, I'm going to tell them what I'm going to do. It's an estimate. No guarantees. No warranties. Um, but uh, I'm going to put uh, I'm going to put everything, the essentials of my contract, uh, in uh, this letter, and I send it. I sign it, and I send it to the client, probably by fax transmission. And uh, here's here's the hook. Uh, you give them a time certain. Uh, to accept or reject uh, your offer. So this is going to be your offer. It's got to be your offer for a letter of understanding. You put this together. It could be your complete. It could be the one-page contract. Just put it together and say, uh, uh, and you add this clause in bold near the end. Uh, unless we receive information from you to the contrary within two days from data, the date of this letter. We will, uh, we will feel free to commence with the services as outlined in this letter. If you have any concerns or any further questions, I'll be more than happy to discuss them with you. Um, so today, I gave them two days. You, if you could make it 24 hours. You could make it 48 hours. You could make it, you came to this deal on uh, on, uh, on Thursday. And unless you hear different from them by eight o'clock Monday morning you're proceeding with the project. So you put the onus on the client uh, that here's our letter of un- here's our understanding this is what we discussed over the phone and if this is not our complete understanding, then um, uh, you need to let us know by eight o'clock Monday morning or else we're proceeding with the project and you by then. If you're going to send a field crew out on Monday morning, you've probably already done some work on it already anyway. But I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't start any work on it until uh, that deadline comes around. Uh, 8 o'clock Monday morning, then you can get somebody uh, working on the research to uh, put together a package for the field crew to go out with. Now, you can make it even simpler than this. Um, you could have a standard, standard email language. Uh, standard email language similar to this maybe you cut it down a little bit more but you do the very you, you do the very same thing get the basics across um, this is how much we're going to get paid what this is what we're going to do this is how much we're going to get paid uh, if and this is not contingent on any cl- whatever whatever terms you want to put in there I would keep it even more simple and more brief if it's an email uh you're not going to get your contingency clause in there you're not going to get your termination clause in there maybe maybe not but you want this thing to be a, an email that somebody's going to your client's going to sit down and, and read and in, in a minute or to read in a no more than a minute read in a minute uh and then um <clears throat> have them acknowledge that they received it or do one of these automatic you know uh Notifications uh, that it was received uh, and read uh, by the client, and and keep a record of that. But get the basics in there. uh, Your basic time frame. Uh, Throw throw in what you feel is necessary. Uh, But um, uh, these are for smaller projects where you're you're probably not going to run into a whole lot of problems. Maybe subdivision uh, lots. uh, Maybe mortgage surveys. Just send them an email this is our understanding if this is not our understanding then you um you must contact us by uh, end of business tomorrow or else we will be in the field the day after or you know we will we will feel free to commence uh, to uh, commence work on this project at least yet you have something one uh, minute okay got you david uh one minute Okay, so let's wrap things up here. Um, so there, there are some other issues I want to talk about uh, relative to uh, um, changing uh, the practice of serving better business practices and the law is what this program is called. So I'm going to consider that we've, we've wrapped up the contract discussion. So um, unless I get a guest on next time, uh, I wanted to go through a few more issues Uh, That could help turn the uh, practice of surveying around a little bit, uh, to the benefit of uh, of the um, of the clients, uh, and to the benefit of the uh, the surveyor as well. So, I wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Hope hope everything is going well with you and yours. And we'll we will be back uh, next Monday for uh, the Surveyors Hour on America's Web Radio.